Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today we're going to be talking about Psalm 23. I'm going to read the psalm to us now. This is kicking off our new series. We're going to be taking some time looking at some of the key imagery in this psalm because the writer David uses some powerful pictures that in his time and in his context were so vivid, so powerful and so, so wonderful. And I want to share just a couple of those with us today. So Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Six verses. Don't know why I said nine earlier. <laughs> That's hilarious. So today we're going to be looking at the first half of the psalm, which means the next couple of weeks are going to be really slow moving. Uh, but we're going to take some time those weeks looking at some key, key points. So the first three verses, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That first verse is absolutely astounding and ridiculous. There are different times and settings in the Bible. So when we look at the, the role of a shepherd, we see it at different stages at different times, meaning different things. So it, the first time we see a shepherd, we see these entrepreneurial, powerful people with a lot of money, a lot of sway, a lot of influence, respected people. That's like your Abrahams, your Isaac, your Jacob. But then later on, further down the line, what happens is um, society shifts. And if you know today, there are shifts that take place in society that mean a role that was once revered and respected can in no time at all become something that's not as important. Society takes a, a paradigm shift and it's no longer seen in the same light. And so when David is saying this and is writing this, someone who's been a shepherd himself, he, he is, when he calls the Lord Elohim, God creator, the one who the, the Old Testament says spoke all things into being, God creator. When he calls him a shepherd, it's an insane thing to say because shepherds at this time were peasants. They were the lowest of the low. They weren't the people you had around your banquet, banquets. They were the people who lived in homes that were one room. One room, that's it. Nothing else, not even a studio. We're not talking a side kitchen. We're not talking about a side toilet. We're talking one room. And we're talking about people who would take some of their animals and they would keep them in their home. The animal would live in the home with them of an evening. They would take it out in the day and tie it up outside. These were people on the lower echelons of society. Yet David chose to identify God with peasants. It's a, such an astounding imagery. For many of the rabbis who look at this passage, when they look about it in the context and the time, they're, they're quite shocked by David's way of expressing this about God. And then he says this, I shall not want. The reason he knows he shall not want is because David himself was a shepherd. And the, the funny thing about David is, being a shepherd really nearly made him miss out on the biggest moment of his life. One day the prophet Samuel came to his house and said, I'm going to make one of your kids into a king. I'm going to anoint him a king today. And Samuel looked at the lineup and he was like, this guy, look how handsome he is, how hench he is, how big he is. This guy has got to be the guy. 
the Lord says, nah, man, not his heart, not that guy. And he goes down the whole line of the sons, and it's none of them. And then he's turning to the dad going, it's none of them. Do you have any more kids? And his dad forgets about David. And then he goes, oh, but he's the shepherd. He's the, he's, the, he's the peasant. He's the lowliest in the family. He's the little one out looking after the sheep, doing the small level stuff. And then when Samuel sees him, he's like, this is the guy. And the crazy thing is when we look at David is David is one of two leaders which are considered in the Hebrew tradition as being the two greatest leaders in Israel's history. And they are both shepherds. We have Moses, who was a prince in Egypt, who killed an Egyptian who was brutally attacking one of his people. He flees for his life. He ends up being a shepherd for a long period of his life by the side of a mountain, thinking his dreams of seeing his people freed would never happen or come to fruition. He is there, beaten down and trodden in this low position like a little worker that God tells him, you're going to go to Kim Jong-il and tell him to let my people go. That's what he does. And the funny thing is, he sends him to Kim Jong-un of the time, Pharaoh, who believes he's God, because Kim Jong-un's the only ruler in the world today that, of significance that believes he is still physically God among his people. That's why I pick him, not because they're a great nation or anything, far from, but he's a psycho on the same level as Pharaoh, who believed he was the living embodiment of the god Ra. And he goes there and God says, take your shepherd stick with you, which is basically saying, go to the most powerful man in the known world at the time, runs an empire, kills people for a living, and wear your little uniform and say, hey, let my people go. And the Bible says God hardened his heart. You can see why. The man rocked up in his little outfit telling Donald Trump how to do things. Not going to go too well for you, just letting you know. Unless, obviously, Twitter deactivate your account, and then you can't do anything anymore. That was a great moment for mankind. I hope they get a Nobel Peace Prize. So then, I shall not want. David knows that when he looked after his sheep, they were never in need because he was there. And he's looking this whole psalm through the eyes of the sheep, which is, makes it incredible in itself. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now the word that's used for lie in the Hebrew language, it's more like he's sprawled out. So it's not the picture of an animal just being forced to lie down in this area. Those sheep are forced by their shepherds to lie down in an area. What's happened here is this green pasture is so good, the animal is just sprawling out like, ah, oh, this is amazing. It's like you and me when we get to a beach on holiday and you lay out on that towel and you just sprawl out like, ah, oh, this is divine. Do I ever have to go back to the drab, gray, weary skies of London again? That is what it's like for this sheep. It is sprawled out in this green grass and enjoying the moment. He leads me beside still waters. David acknowledges that God is someone that looks down on our lives, not as insignificant, but as someone who directs us to the place where the stream is easiest to drink, that is able to nourish and to look after us. And then he says lastly in, in verse 3, is he talks about the Lord restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in the path of righteousness for my name's sake. Next month, churches up and down the country are going to be looking at a particular story, the nativity story, which is pretty funny, actually. Hey, you right, gang? You right, Eden? You right? High five? Yeah. Nice one, ever. They're going to be looking at the nativity story and what's kind of cool about that is they're going to, a lot of churches are going to be talking about a particular part of the story where Jesus is born and some shepherds are met by some angels. And when they're met by these angels, 
they freak out. Obviously, freaking out is an angel. That would be scary. I'm down with that. But the second thing they freak out about is that the... Oh, bubs. <laughs> I know the talk's bad, mate, but it's not that bad. Chill. <laughs> Poor kid. He's like, man, I'm like a year old and you're inflicting this guy on me. Why would you do this, mum? <laughs> so they're going to be talking about these, these angels and these shepherds. And the reason why this part of the story kind of matters so much is they're not just afraid by the glory of these angels. They're afraid because the angel says something specific to them. It says, you are going to go and see this new Messiah baby that has been born. You are going to go and you are going to visit and you're going to see him. And they're thinking to themselves like, rah, like I can't go to Herod's palace. I'm a peasant. I'm a lowly position and lowly stature. And then the angel says this amazing thing to them saying, don't worry because the baby will be wrapped in swaddling cloths, which totally for them was earth shattering because what it pictured to them was, oh, this baby is totally like us because only people from their class in society would be wrapped in such a cloth and placed in a manger. They realized this kid would be born in a normal house. You and I, we look at that story and we always think like this baby is like, like, couldn't they find, like it's always about Premier Inn. It's about, there's no room at the inns anywhere. So they had to settle for some next dirty class of um, hotel to stay in, like a really whack chain. That's not the story. What happens for them is, it's not there's no room in the inn. There's nowhere to stay and they stay in a, in a house just like the shepherds I spoke of before, this one room house of all the animals and in this way. The reason I want to talk about that today is because actually one of the things that I've found so surprising is how God chooses to use the base things and the simple things that often we write off and we undermine within society. The reason I want to talk about that is because obviously with Aria today, she is such a base and such a simple thing. And what I want to say to all of us is regardless of where we are at in our lives and who we are, that I honestly believe that God chooses to use the base things and the simple things to confound the strong and the wise. And today, Aria, I pray over you that regardless of what job occupation or passion you choose when you grow over or what things you wish to explore, that you would know your position, that you are highly favored and that God has a plan for your life and that God is going to bless you where you're at. And not just Aria, but for every single one of the children here today. Because in that story, God doesn't bring his son to earth to mix among the, 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 the big movers and shakers. He places him around, yes, some of them, the Magi come, but he doesn't forget to include him in with the shepherds because God has a message and a plan to reach throughout all society, whether you are the Magi, the big movers and shakers in the world, but also the shepherds left out in the fields that are forgotten and left. It says he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David sees that actually I'm going to trust the shepherd because though I'm looking at where I'm traveling and moving to, I look around and the places that I see may not be appealing to me as a sheep. I may not want to go this way. I may not want to go that way. And he looks at his own life through some of the choices and the places that he's gone. And they may not always be appealing. They may not always be how you want to see it, but he sees that he leads him in the place of righteousness. And the, and the thing that it talks about there, the way the language is used is, um, I don't think I can even pronounce the word. It's sictitious, I think. Like where it goes around, like it's, it's, it's circular. It's good for both. So when we read the plans of righteousness, sometimes you and I get a loaded picture in our head 
that God has this path and this plan and it's fixed and this is the right one and there's nothing else. And so a lot of Christians I know live a life where they are freaking out. That like It's like, oh my days, if I just move from this, this little path here, oh boy, if I were to go, whoa, that's kind of some scary stuff. I want to stay with like, what God's plan for my life. And they freak out over every small thing. And sometimes we can freak out over these things. But what this Psalm is talking about, what David's talking about is he goes, he leads me in the paths, plural of righteousness. It's this idea that actually where he's going to take me is good for him for these reasons and it's good for me for these reasons and they're differing reasons and they're kind of interconnected and together. And what I want to encourage you with is wherever you are in life, he leads us in the paths of righteousness and it says for his name's sake that God places his name in jeopardy with you and I. God places his name in jeopardy with Aria. He looks at all the terrible decisions she could possibly make, and she smiles as I say that. <laughs> all the terrible, disastrous decisions she could choose to make in her life. And he says that he will lead her in the paths of righteousness. Good for him, good for her, for his name's sake. But I want to finish by just looking at He Restores My Soul. And I'm going to kind of close and end there. There's a story. Hey, here I am, mate. There's a story where Jesus is out and about, and there's this woman, and she's bent over. And she can't kind of stand up straight and she's in pain and it's difficult and she's had this life that's... And you know what? Sometimes for you and I, life can feel like that. It can feel like it beats us down and it's a bit hard to lift your head in the same way. It's a bit hard to feel as assured about yourself as maybe you have in the past. And this woman is bent over and it's the Sabbath day, which is like a strong religious tradition. And there's this moment where Jesus says to her that you're free and you're healed and he touches her and this woman becomes straight. So someone who's been bent down by life, the weight of life has knocked her down, bent her over. Jesus liberates and heals her. And the people around who see this, see that him doing at this particular time, and they're associated with a particular religious tradition, may I encourage you, don't be religious, is they see that what he does doesn't fit with what they've known. And so they say, you shouldn't be doing this on this day. And he says, which one of you guys... Which one of you guys didn't today, as you left your home, untie your ox, lead it out of your house, and tie it up? You didn't leave your animals in your house today. So then what do you want me to do with this woman? You want me to leave her tied up and bound while you untie your animal because you don't want it in the house, and you do that on the Sabbath day. You don't want to untie an animal because you don't want the stench and the awkwardness of it, and you'd move it out. I'm liberating a whole woman from being oppressed and downtrodden and broken today. And I wanted to focus in on that because when we talked about the shepherds and how the house was and how Jesus was born in that house, and the reason I wanted to talk about that today for Aria is because actually when she grows up in this world, in our society, what our society says is of women is it wants to keep them in a position that is bent over and that is broken down. Because our society says that a woman should earn less than a man for the same job. Our society says that a woman of race and of color should earn less than a man for the same job and stature. Society, Aria, it will be of no relevance for you today because preschool is not even around the corner yet. <laughs> society would place weights on you that would bend you over. But Jesus comes that he may liberate you and that you may have life. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are good, that you are faithful. I thank you that you give us the image of being a shepherd, one that is so accessible to people of all classes and backgrounds. 
I thank you that you say that when you are our shepherd, we shall not want. I pray that Aria and everyone here today shall not want in their lives. I thank you that your word says that you cause us to lie down in green pastures, sprawl out in those places. May we know what it is, regardless of our situation financially and the position we're in, may we know what it is to sprawl out where we are, to enjoy life here and now in our position, to be fully alive in the moment. And it says that you lead us beside still waters. Father, may you make the waters around us in our workplaces and in our lives and our environments still that we can provide and we can enjoy the life around us. And may you restore our souls, Lord, that we can be like you. May we be nourished and may we be whole. I pray, Father, for every single person here, Lord, that you would release them in the same way you released that lady, that life had got her bent over. May you give us light, lightness of heart and joy. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that just like your word says, you will lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name. really hope you enjoyed today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london London.